0: This you Hey Phil, hey Laurie. Welcome, listeners, to the Super Belly Bros and Movie Land podcast. We have got a big show for you this week. Choco Blocker with films. What episode is this? This is episode, of oh, season two, episode twenty-five. Which you know I've nominally said is number seventy-five, but it's way more than that. Oh gosh, so we've been going for a long time, Phil. Do you Lots feel of like numbers. That? Yeah, I do, I do. I feel like aged in the podcast world. Mm, indeed. What well, listeners, I've been to see Colossal this week, and also King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, and also Lost in London Live. <laughs> Would he? Harrelson's bizarre experiment in which a film got streamed live to cinemas in America and in London, and I was lucky enough to meet the man and go to a Q and A that he presented afterwards. Ooh, get big, you, big, big get week. You. Ooh. I've gone
1: to see Miss Sloane. This is Jessica Chastain. She's the star of Zero Duck Thirty, and she was also in The Help. She's doing a new movie. She's a lobbyist. I'll tell you more in a bit. Oh, very good.
0: Okay, and we'll do what we've been watching, just one film each. We're going to have to do all these reviews fairly quickly and snappily, Phil. Time to practice what we always talk about and be, like, super concise and super great with reviews, yes? Yes. <laughs> uh, and then a mini-segment on making the case for remastered editions. Which making is a- the case? Oh, that's already surprising. <laughs> I thought making you were gonna say- good... That's a nice little... F- remember that. That would be a good little <laughs> segment. <surprise laughs> write it down. Write making down. the case. That, that's very wordy but it will make sense and that'll be very brief but listeners we want your thoughts on yet more stuff send your thoughts into super
1: bros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at super bros thanks so much to all those who've got in touch already you can hear the emails at the back end of the show so do stick around for that and yeah thanks so much for all those as well who support us on patreon patreon.com forward slash super bros That's really helpful. Thanks so much for covering our costs. It means we can carry on doing it keep on having fun talking about movies. That's the one.
0: And you'll already know, if I succeeded, that this podcast came out on a Friday and not a Monday. Uh, And that is something (laughs) we also have been talking about for ages, behind the scenes. I think Friday is a better day to release it, although it does put us in direct competition with every other podcast under the sun, Phil. No contest. We're, We're good. We're gold. Well, let's see what happens. <laughs> Final note, we are super excited that Benedict Seal Ciel- it's out in the Cannes Film Festival, reporting for us amongst a few other people as well. I did notice he's doing it at BBC Oxford as well, Phil. So oh, oh okay. We're not the biggest fish oh, right, okay. <laughs> amongst his uh, his clients. We're there. a little family,
1: that's what it is. Yeah, you know, that's all right. All connected.
0: And I'm really excited, looking forward to getting my first report from Benedict. If that gets in in time, it may even be in this show. I doubt it. So look out in the feed. There may even be a Cannes-specific show with all the hot goss from the festival. <gasps> Shall we get cracking? So much exciting stuff. Yes, let's go. Crack that whip. Whoosh.
1: So Laurie, you're going to do your King Arthur review as Guy Ritchie's, like a Guy Ritchie
0: guy. Well, because yeah, Guy Ritchie himself. I don't really know. Like, he's a, just an odd chap. He doesn't really sound like his characters, but his characters would be a bit more very like, distinctive. Like, all right chap, yeah. Laurie's right. sweaty face. Let me tell you a story, alright yeah. I'm, I'm Laurie sweaty So there's this lad, yeah. Arthur. What of the lads? <laughs> the thing is, his dad might have been a big deal once, but now he's out on the streets with us. <laughs> I love it's great. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going, Laurie. Keep going. (laughs) And he's not so bad after all, right? That royal blood in his veins didn't do him him any harm. He's charming, he's loyal, and he knows how to drink a pint. Yeah? (laughs) come on, I can't keep this up. Where does Jude Law fit in? Yeah, he doesn't sound like that, thankfully. Can I just do the thing normally? (laughs) Hey, listeners, if you've ever wondered what uh, the Knights of the Round Table would be like as the lads of the Round Table, then this film is for you. Guy Ritchie has a go at the great Arthurian legend and he's just, I mean, one thing I love about Guy Ritchie, Phil, and listeners, if you don't know his films, he's Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. He is... He did Sherlock
1: Holmes and all those, that and Robert Downey Jr. version.
0: Yeah, the sort of frenetic can you tell what's going on? No, I can't fast talking fast cuts fast editing but very stylish right I'm you quite know entertaining. It. it's a Guy Ritchie film Pop-corny, yeah. he brings all of that and he is 100% Guy Ritchie to one of the most sort of solid calm uh, historical tales of all time and decides, yeah, I'm going to do what I want with this. In fact, even more than that, I believe Warner Brothers came to him and said, look, Richie, we want to make a six-film series about King Arthur. Can you believe Phil is looking surprised? I six surprised. films? Six films! And this is supposed to be the launch-off point for six films. So, look, let's get actually into it. The way that he's recreated it is that Camelot is a giant castle with a massive bridge near the ancient city of Londinium in England. Guess which city Londinium might be, Phil? What's London. It well, used to be called Londinium. So they say, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> That's either and we enter the movie as it is being besieged by the evil mage Mordred who is a terrifying magician assaulting it with all his forces but fortunately Uther Pendragon aka Eric Banner steps in foils the plot but someone betrays Uther Pendragon right at the point of his victory and usurps the throne it turns out that's Jude Law who is Uther Pendragon's brother so fast forward Jude Law is on the throne, the lakes around Camelot recede mysteriously, they reveal a sword in the stone, and it is Excalibur in the stone, so Jude Law is terrified, this is a bad omen, basically, so he rounds up all the men of a certain age, because he wants to be absolutely sure that uh, Uther's heir isn't still alive, but as you have probably guessed... He is still alive, and it turns out he's this likely lad, right? He's this likely lad who's been living on the streets of London all this time. His dad fortunately pushed him away in a boat, so he's grown up in a brothel, has learned street smarts, but he's also learned how to be a good guy. He can't deny the nobility that's in his blood. And this is played by Charlie Hunman, the guy from Sons of Anarchy and Pacific Rim. Exactly right, Phil. And lo and behold, he does pull the sword from the stone. And I'm explaining all this plot so that we can get to the clip that we have, because this is the point at which Jude Law has a face-to-face with who he now realises is his nephew, the rightful heir to his throne. So let's hear them have a little chat in the clink. You've got the wrong man, sire. I was born in a brothel on a bridge in Londinium. The sword can only be drawn by Uther Pendragon or his direct heir. You felt it, didn't you? The power That's what put you out. You just don't know how to control it. Hmm. So what happens now? You know what happens now. You're quickly becoming a legend. Mm, there we go. Very portentous. And now I'll take a deep breath. And you know the thing is, I'm remembering Guy Ritchie's film, and I'm remembering the pace that this goes at, and the speed at which all his characters talk, and it's making me want to like accelerate, Phil. Just take a deep breath, man. It's all good. Let's be serious, reviewers. Let's be
1: deeply in there. Take off the Guy Ritchie hat, put on the movie critic. And what did you make of this film? Well,
0: Phil, yeah, (laughs) I basically, listeners, it might have been something to do with the screening area that I was in, which I haven't been to before. It was at Warner Brothers, fantastic room. But my goodness, I was absolutely. Deafened. I was pummeled into my seat. I felt like I was like it was a a scene where you're being hyper accelerated and you're sort of melting <laughs> in Do you hyperspace. Know what I mean? Yeah, like it was so loud all the time. Like the the score has been super compressed. You know, look up some other clips on YouTube, listeners. Uh, it's this guy Daniel Pemberton. And I just couldn't handle it. Like, the drums are insane. The bass is omnipresent. There are these horn stabs. It's deafening. And people are screaming and shouting half the time as well. And when you add in Guy Ritchie's approach to editing, which is fast cuts all the time, and a lot of flashbacks and backstories and side plots, explained rapid fire by Cotney geezers, who are like, yeah, what's that, Bill? Goose fat Bill, yeah. They call him that because he slipped through the bars so many times. And you were talking to Backlat, weren't you? Yeah, Backlat. that's right. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm <laughs> exhausted I'm, I'm exhausted even hearing I know. it. <laughs> the video really is it's so so like that i was just tired man i almost found it hard to even remember the film properly because it was so exhausting but having said all that, man, I'm kind of intrigued. I kind of want to see it. I watched the clip while you were playing it. It looks kind of fun. Well, the key thing is that loads of critics are just slating it and saying, what happened here? The budget is ridiculous, and I think they're right about that. It cost $175 million to make. They're predicting an extra $100 million in marketing costs on top, which means it's an absolute mountain to climb at the box office. It's still battling Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I think you, if you're going to go and watch it, try and shovel that outside of your... mind and just enjoy the film as it's presented and what it aims for I think it succeeds in. It just tries to be entertaining. It tries to be You know, lighthearted. There's more than a wink at the audience the entire way through. Guy Ritchie can't not do it because he is so in love with that kind of charming, witty banter thing. And he's so in love with making Arthur this kind of superhero. And, you know, he has giant elephants knocking castles apart. You know, Excalibur isn't just a mythical sword anymore. It's like kind of this magical staff thing. When he holds it with two hands, it becomes like a powered up sword from a video game. And when he sweeps it, it's like blasts people hundreds of miles away. Like it is so pumped up to the maximum there's no there's nothing in between very normal fairly quiet scenes and absolutely to the max in your face you're gonna die if you (laughs) like if it goes on too long like there's there's no in between so I think it's really entertaining but it is an endurance test is it a bit like
1: an energy drink it's like you're
0: necking five of them and taking you know 10 minute gaps in between that's that's the pacing and how it works I, I think the performances are really strong. I think Jude Law is great. He manages to play this really wicked character with surprising gravitas and you believe that he's a rounded portrait even though he's like a comic book character.
1: In my head, it's sort of ringing bells of the Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. Is that at all similar but just a modern very similar, version? Very,
0: but turned up yeah. beyond what is really palatable for everybody. But... Yeah, I think it's actually going to find a cult audience, basically, because it is so stylized. And Guy Ritchie knows what he's doing. He's got a a really good visual sense. And there's a lot of creativity. There's some shots I particularly love where the camera, it's almost like GoPro on someone's shoulder and they run through a city. So if you can imagine the GoPro having a very close profile of someone while they run, that means that their head is steady. But the walls behind them in the shot are kind of going up and down. And all. can you picture yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I can. Guy Ritchie, he's really creative, but no one has given, no one has sort of edited him. No one has said, "All right, Richie, that's great." And everything. Calm it down a little bit. Just re- on. No one has done that, but yeah. So I, I, hope you can get the picture. It's a big muddle of a film. Good performances. Charlie Hunnam, I think, is, is great. Actually, I really like him. Aidan Gillen is fine as this sort of smarmy Irish guy, Goose Fat Bill. Everyone is fine. It's a cockney good time in medieval England. I yeah. I can't think of anything more to say, Phil. It's ridiculous. Well, can I ask you about David Beckham? Oh, yes. Yes, you can. What do you want to ask me about Beckham? Well, I just know that he's in it. He has like a cameo, is it? Or is it quite an actual role? It's definitely a cameo. You know, I liked it. (laughs) I'll put it out there. Guy Ritchie is known for introducing Vinnie Jones to the world. Were you aware of that, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's taken another footballer and said, you know what? Here's your second least of life. Movie star time. He even speaks in the film and I didn't find it teeth gratingly awful the way other critics have described it. I think it's totally fine. It's very distracting but it's totally fine.
1: Is this the sort of film where you weirdly sort of kind of get behind it even though it's a bit of a clunker or is this that people have set up in their mind this isn't a good film and they want to attack it because it's Guy Ritchie because it's a bit frenetic because it's got David Beckham in.
0: The main criticism I have for it is its budget because the impression I get is that it didn't need to have that much money spent on it. And if it hadn't spent so much money, then the expectations would be much lower. I, don't, I wouldn't say that people are getting it wrong. I think it is just bizarre. Like The, the whole sort of shebang it just makes not very much sense. But I would not at all be surprised if most people enjoy themselves. What sort of grade would you give it? I'd probably give it a B... Yeah, it's definitely different, <laughs> and I can't say I hated it, but I was exhausted. I I couldn't handle the volume and the pace. Any I'm bonuses to go with too it? Too old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's. I can't really say it probably without spoiling it. But the way that the round table is introduced is so ridiculous. It's it's basically embarrassing, and you know that the actors at that scene are all thinking <laughs> this is ridiculous. Does it like come up out the ground or something? I know. I can't. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> like, there, well, there's one part of it where. Guy Ritchie's brilliant sense for dialogue It has people trying to Guess what a table is As if it's not obvious that it's a table Oh, so oh, like, what, oh. What, What's this? What's this here then? And the point is, it's the round table, and like it's just, yeah, I can't, I, I can't, feel I don't I, know what I, to say. I, I don't, I don't really know how to gauge your reaction to it because you gave it a B, but like it seems like it was awful and brilliant
1: at the same time, and kind of a weird mishmash of everything. You're
0: right; it's awful and brilliant at the same time. So I can't, I can't give it a bad grade. It, it's, it's okay. It's just, it's just so weird. It's a weird. B. It's yeah. a B. Yep, 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 yep. Right, let's take a breather, and you, we can come back with your review. Yes, yes. shall we go on to
1: Miss Sloane? What's your opinion of Jessica Chastain, Laurie?
0: I really like her. I enjoyed her performance in Interstellar a lot, and The Martian as well. Sometimes I get her mixed up with Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, they do have that similar sort of pale face and kind of a bit wide-eyed. but Quite angular features. What sort of characteristic, or what sort of character do you think her acting performance suits? That's a tough question, Phil. I mean, she's talented, I think, so I'm sure she could play anything. I mean, she... I mean in those films, one of them she's... A sort of hopeful dreamer, isn't she? An interstellar um, who's also a mathematician, I think, isn't she? Orphan. Physicist. Physicist, thank you. And then in The Martian, she's like a military astronaut. So I think she could play anything. I mean, she also was uh, that kind of slightly ditzy socialite who wasn't very
1: fondly liked by the other socialites in The Help.
0: Oh yeah of course she was fantastic in that Yeah she was one of the best things about that film Which I wasn't that much of a fan of Mm. And then she also played a very
1: sort of tough uh, Steely-eyed CIA operative In Zero Dark Thirty as well So she's, she's kind of got a weird sort of range And yet we have this film Miss Sloane In which she is playing a lobbyist She's playing Elizabeth Sloane who is hired to basically pander and convince senators to vote for interested parties. So she, in this film, is playing a very competent, very fierce woman who is not going to take no for an answer. And over the course of the film, she is hired uh, by her sort of agency, to represent a gun lobby, a gun interest producer. And there's a very heated bill that's about to come up, which is going to put more control on those who are allowed to buy and purchase guns. And then suddenly Mark Strong pops up and says, ''Nope, you're going to work for us. We want to make sure you make this bill pass.'' And so you're going to swap ships, you're going to jump teams. Have I mixed those? (laughs) Swap ships is great. (laughs) Swap ships. (laughs) Jump teams. (laughs) Jump teams. And uh, you're going to to work for me, and we're going to make sure that this bill passes, even though there's loads of this pressure from the gun-interested people in the NRA sort of surrogate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bizarrely, it starts with Miss Sloane on trial, basically, for misconduct with senators and then it flashes back and shows how she got to that point okay do we have a clip yeah so this clip the reason why i tell you that and it's not a spoiler that she's uh, on trial for misconduct here we have a clip where she is meeting with Mark Strong's attorney to discuss how she's going to move forward, and it might just give you a little bit of an insight into her character.
0: And it's worth saying this, is, and, and when, just hearing the audio, there's going to be a moment where the two guys talking just stop talking. The, the clip hasn't broken, it's because a door is closed in a glass office and you suddenly swap perspectives, so you see from her point of view, she can no longer hear them, but she can see them. So there you go. I was against whoever hiring her. Because your job is not winning lobbying fights, your job is to stop a from get Quite independently of her being utterly contemptible. It would whatever it was, I guess it seems pretty stupid now. Liz Meet your protection. Daniel Posner, head of legal.
1: Liz Sloan, contemptible liability and amateur lip reader. Whose idea were the glass walls? Seriously?
0: Oh, that's an overload of sass right there, Phil.
1: That's a lot of sass. And so what character do you think Jessica
0: Chastain is going for? Is she playing the help sort of character or is she going for more Zero Dark Thirty? I haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty, so I can't comment, but it sounds like she's fairly hard-boiled, no-nonsense. What, you think you can tell me how to be a professional? Let me show you the meaning of the word professional didn't make sense to <laughs> me, you know what I mean? I said the world as well. Yeah, she's 100% playing
1: this uh, this as a, a ruthless, conniving, but brilliant uh, lobbyist, and she's very good at her job, but does that come at a cost? Ooh. Mm, who knows, who knows? I found this film a little bit tedious in the sense that lots of people are going nuts over Jessica Chastain saying how good her performance is and the film is entirely around her, it's named after her yeah, yeah, and it's, in, it's on her shoulders that the film succeeds or fails. Is it not a real story? Is it a true
0: story? No it's not it's, it's completely fictional. Why did you say it's a true story? Well it just sounds like that kind of setup, right? Like, So here's a famous woman who was really tough and achieved a lot so let's make a biopic kind of about her. Or, sorry a biopic as everyone tells me I should pronounce it. It's not it's entirely just a made up sort of
1: political thriller. A kind of a bit like Michael Clayton. I don't know why but I think that's the kind of the vibe that they're going very for. different characters but George Clooney sort of a, a, an individual you're following an individual playing the system weaving through all these different interested parties and can can they come out top sure I think the character is boring it's really boring <laughs> really boring character because basically her character comes down to two different sides it's she's ruthless but she's brilliant but she's ruthless but she's also brilliant <laughs> like, and, and that's all that the film can say it says nothing more than that and it just presents this really kind of heartless character who will do anything to succeed and then it hammers that home again and again and again and again and the thing is is I think the reason why it's getting a lot of attention is because it's a female character I think if this was a male character I don't think anyone would be interested and in some ways I think it highlights a really negative side of Hollywood which is uh, it identifies a problem in the sense that there's misrepresentation and then it swings the other way because it wants to correct that and instead of doing nuanced interesting characters instead it goes the opposite way and just sort of says Wow, look how amazing this woman is, but they don't give her really a character. There's no well, real there's no real heart to her. There's never really a clear indication of what what motivates her. Instead, she's just so impressive. She's
0: wonderful, she's amazing. She never does anything wrong. She doesn't care who she steps on. Well, I mean, are you, are you being swayed at all, Phil, by all the press around it? Because I admit, I haven't heard a lot about Miss Sloane. I've been focusing on other films. And the headlines I do see popping up on websites and press kits and all that sort of stuff is all about how strong she is as a female character. People are asking her her opinions on Johnny Depp being fed lines through his earpiece. In, yeah, I saw that on the, the on the BBC. Worst questions I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I didn't like that. But are you sure you're not being slightly swayed by all that press coverage? I think I've been thinking about it a lot because I think there are plenty of
1: characters which are brilliant and uh, nasty and obnoxious and things like that. Take, for example, Dr. House, you know, uh, Hugh Laurie's character. Yeah. Brilliant, unbelievably brilliant medical person, has super insight. And then, uh, but also is really obnoxious and is a drug addict and a flawed yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. And I think what they're going for is somebody a bit like that. Miss Sloan as kind of like a, a Doctor House, but in the lobbyist world. But
0: right, the thing with House is that people love the mysteries, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and also Doctor House is wrong all the time. He thinks he's brilliant, and he gets it wrong all the time. He makes mistakes. He says it's this, and then it's, they're like the drug didn't work. Now, now they're sweating loads or something like that and he's like really and he gets very confused and and then he has to reapply his brilliant knowledge with the new information and adapt and correct I don't think this film ever really can deal with the idea that Sloane could fail and still be brilliant They they don't seem to be able to do that and they've come up with this idea that being a lobbyist is uh, waiting and waiting for your trump card, waiting to play your trump card. And when your opponent's played their trump card, that's when you play your trump card. It's all sort of blackmail and gossip. And like timing and having one thing up your sleeve all the time. Right. And I think the whole construction of the character is flawed because it's impossible to relate to them. And I didn't really care if she won or succeeded And I don't think the film really fleshes out enough any sort of character in any sort of way to make you invested. On top of all of that is this whole political side of the film. It's about guns and whether or not people should have the right to have guns. Well, I admit
0: that's kind of what I assume the film would be about because that is a really interesting and difficult subject to tackle, right?
1: Yeah, and it ends up being a bit pulpy in how it deals with it. I mean, there's one moment where uh, there's a TV debate between the opposition and Elizabeth Sloane representing the anti-gun lobby, and the camera literally pans around in her big speech. And so she's sort of in front of a big American flag. Right. And and she's doing the big sort of message of the film, which is like, why should we? why should we give guns to people? We make people take tests to drive a car. Why don't we give people rigorous tests to have guns? And you kind of feel like the writer is suddenly seeping through and their agenda is seeping through. And the film isn't really about a message, I don't think. It's about this character. So why is it suddenly that the message becomes more prominent than the character? you feel like it's suddenly a big soapbox for what they the writer wants to say
0: that just sounds like poor direction to me poor
1: direction poor writing i think it doesn't really ever sort of set up any tension really in the reality of political spectrum there's always going to be differing arguments and i think it so clearly wants to weigh in and say use this sort of film as a as a pointer to america about how it needs to change its gun laws and it does. I think it gives a short man to the other the other side. And that's, I'm not.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about Snowden in the end, uh, which was the Oliver Stone film. Um, not that it was an unenjoyable film, or that it wasn't convincing. And I'm sure, as you would say, Phil, there probably is a lot that is convincing about that point of view in Miss sloan The problem is the failure to actually ground it in the real world, so it feels a bit more like propaganda than an actual, you know, tackling of the issue. Is exactly. That what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, Sorry Phil, if I you've didn't just been lobbied, it. mate. That's that's the whole point of the film. That's what lobbyists do, isn't it? They're shut down the opposition so that they can win the day which is presumably you've just been you've been sloned man <laughs> well maybe i have
1: but i wasn't that sloned if you get my drift <laughs> okay right i thought it was ent- entertaining i think mark strong is always fun and he gives a, a solid performance in pretty much everything i've seen him in but i don't think the film is uh, as smart as it thinks it is i don't think it's as slick as it thinks it is i don't think the character is interesting as it needs to be and i think the writing is a bit poor and a bit see-through and not nuanced enough Just one more question before we get your grade, Phil. I've heard some people describe it as a thriller
0: is it thrilling
1: yeah in the sense that it takes lots of twists and turns but some of the twists i think are a bit bit tacky and okay. a bit it sort of just undermines the realism of the film and and can i add one more thing i think it weirdly tries to glorify lobbyists as something interesting and good and i just i can't get behind that message maybe that's my own political agenda seeping through but i think lobbying politicians for their own interests of of commercials or whatever it is is kind of a weird thing to do and a bizarre slice that is kind of unique to america and senators and all that sort of stuff so i find it the whole film just it didn't really sit well with me but at the same time there was some quality i think jessica chastain is watchable but a bit one note and a bit sort of i'm i'm a badass But maybe that's
0: more the character than her you mean
1: i think the character means that she's one note yeah 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 i think for me probably it's a c plus really well that's low i really don't think it was up to much i think it looks good But there's there's just not enough to it. It needs to be so much better. In fact, the, the film which I kept on coming back to, and maybe this is a bit of a bonus, I don't really do bonuses like you do, but the film which I kept on coming back to is if you want to watch a film about lobbying watch the American president with Annette Benning and uh, what's his face <laughs> yeah
0: she is a lobbyist isn't she yeah that's she's a lobbyist for like
1: the Green Party and I think that's much more interesting seeing the mechanics of how Washington works and how you have to try and win over votes I think that's much better and it makes people seem normal and I mm. think this film doesn't make people seem normal it makes them seem like psychos and just
0: <laughs> ugh. well listeners, that is a very strong opinion from Phil and I don't doubt there'll be lots of people disagreeing with you probably a few on your side though Phil I've not seen it I don't know so send your thoughts to superbellybros at dmail.com Or at Bros on Twitter And so no bonuses from you Phil?
1: Uh, I've got one bonus I've never actually seen the whole Spy bugging a bug thing Actually presented as real life Bugging a bug? What? Yeah Using like a bug As like a surveillance thing
0: Oh an actual insect? Yeah I thought you were making A clever pun there No? No it's (laughs)
1: like they bug a bug
0: Wow I've only seen that In the fifth element Uh, Yeah it sounds crazy doesn't it? That is very strange Uh, Okay thanks very much Phil Great Okay, really quick one, Phil, because we've got a big review show this week. But I mentioned about, is there a case for the remastered version? And listeners, you may have seen the original Star Wars trilogy. If you're like Phil and I, then the first time you may have seen them was with all the CGI effects in place. So the X-Wings look pretty cool. Yeah, they When they did. start flying away from Yavin, and there was those weird monsters like uh, parading in front of the camera. What's that you just did with your hand, Phil? Oh, well, the Sarlacc pick had a beak. Oh, that's right. It had a beak, rather than just being a hole and all that kind of stuff. But actually, a lot of people swear by the very, very original 1977 version, which, as opposed to CGI spaceships, just had little dots of light vanishing in the They kind of the glue,
1: glowed in the distance, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, I have sort of, over the years, listened to people's opinions about both and swung between the two because I think it is often the case that whatever version you saw first is just the version to you anyway. So it's just a very personal thing. But here's the thing. I started watching Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers the other day on a DVD and my TV is better than uh, I've ever had it when I've watched Lord of the Rings. So it's a much higher quality picture. The colours in particular have nice sort of contrast and are very vivid. And Gollum doesn't look very good anymore. And I'm really sad about that. And I don't know, Phil, whether it's that it's now 15 years old. I think it was made in 2002, if you can believe that. Yeah, it's old, old movie. Yeah. Or whether I just seeing a lot more films these days while we're doing our criticky thing. And so I can spot like the techniques that are going on much easier. But when I'm seeing Gollum struggling around in the stream or on the stones, he just doesn't blend in to the background very well and I lose my sense of immersion because I can tell there's a CGI effect whereas I vividly recall being in the cinema and thinking whoa like and, and really relating to Gollum and thinking the scenes where they're all together I didn't even notice it because it was so well done and he won an award for that I think didn't he yeah like it was uh, best special effects I'm sure yeah yeah so I'm starting to find myself thinking I kind of wish Peter Jackson and co would revisit the masters or whatever it was and regrade it like relight it and try and blend it better into the like an the HD edition yeah exactly and it's particularly the lighting and the colours just don't match the surroundings properly uh, on a high quality DVD player and I would I would just love them to do that so that I can't get pulled out of it again I, I want to experience that the way I did the first time I saw it at the cinema I mean is that not
1: always the way I mean maybe CGI in particular suffers but can you think of ever a time when a director's gone back and remastered something and it has improved it.
0: Well, that's exactly what I mean. I'm, is there a case for it? Because if Peter Jackson did it now, then what it means is that, you know, the youth of today, Phil, when they put the remastered Lord of the Rings uh, in their DVD player, will experience it the way that I, I experienced it. Because then it'll be in balance again. So when I saw it the first time, I did you wild. I didn't. Wild. Know, I didn't and you it weren't be not better. wild now. Exactly. But now people say, well, it's just a, a tacky effect. I think all know. it means is that it will be remade instead of remastered.
1: Ah, that's an interesting thought. I don't know. The question is: is can you trust the director to go back and remaster the bright bits? Basically, because you look at George Lucas, you look at even
0: Ridley Scott with Blade Runner and all those different. Steven Spielberg, man, E.T.
1: Yeah and he, what what was what was it that Steven Spielberg did? Oh, he
0: had uh, uh people holding guns during the chase sequence and he replaced the guns with walkie-talkies. And you wonder
1: is is that an okay thing for a director to do? Once the product is out there, is it the public property and you basically have to say no, it's done and it's sealed, that's the end, that's the final cut. Nothing to be done. Are you not opening a can of worms, basically, to allowing directors to tinker and change and and more something which you love, and then it becomes something. Well, it you all can't... depends
0: on what the motive is. Because George Lucas, I think, probably had good motives for going back, and actually, I think he succeeded because some of the things I think are good and work they well. help. And because it meant when I saw it as a kid, you know, by that point, Phil, don't forget, Teletubbies had computer graphics, <laughs> as <Yeah>. did reboots. Do <laughs> you remember that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to watch Star Wars with that, like, and it obviously be tacky models and things. I as a kid, I wouldn't have been as blown away as I was by seeing this, the up-to-date CGI stuff going on. The problem is he then goes too far, and he does things like paint out the old Anakin Skywalker and put in Hayden Christensen. So it's just, you know, knowing where to use it, I I don't have that much of a problem with it. I think the real problem, though, is with that, is the fact that George Lucas hasn't made the old versions available. Uh, oh really are they out of can't? You, he won't
1: release those as kind of a, an HD DVD or whatever Blu-ray he's like no that that version's dead this is the version I intended to do so forget the previous one this is the only thing that exists now but
0: you know have we got any more right to over the guy himself that he made it I mean this is a slightly different issue now but because I'm not I'm not arguing that a director should be able to stop you engaging with the film I'm just saying, you know, maybe in some cases it is forgivable. You're worried about people missing out on Hollywood magic just because of a bad special effect, Yeah, basically. and we're in the age of, like, endless remakes and reboots, and I don't want a soft reboot of Lord of the Rings, where... <laughs> <That's soft laughs> Can reboot. you imagine how <laughs> terrible that would be? Oh. It focuses on the Elf at Helm's Deep, but how we got there, how do you know? Oh, it'd be so terrible. Uh, but anyway, yeah, listeners, I'm, I've actually rambled on a lot more than I thought. It was harder to explain than I imagined it would be. I would love to know your thoughts. Is there a case for remastered version? versions of classics so that the current generation can experience how great they were and they won't dismiss it yeah maybe you also could suggest films that maybe need it yeah absolutely i'd love to if you think there's something that could use a bit of spit and polish so that the youth of today won't miss the cinematic gems uh then let us know
1: yeah com, or you can tweet us at Bros.
0: okay phil i'm pumped and i'm ready two reviews in one let's do
1: this So you're going to do Colossal and Live from London or London Live? Yeah, Lost in
0: London Live, including a couple of nuggets of gold from the Q&A with Woody Harrelson. So I'll do Colossal first, shall I? Yes. Right, well, Colossal is a very unusual film. It stars Anne Hathaway as Gloria, who is a slightly out-of-control sort of person. She's living in New York with her boyfriend, Dan Stevens, a.k.a. The Beast, a.k.a. that guy from Downton Abbey. And he just is not impressed with her at all because she's lost her job, she's out of work, and she's got really into alcohol and partying. So she's off and out all night and he has no idea where she is and then she sort of crawls back to the apartment clearly the worst for wear so he says to her look you've got to get out of here I need you out of the apartment uh, and you need to go and get your life together we need to take a break the relationship's over she's devastated uh, and so she does she goes back home to a tiny small town in America where she bumps back into some childhood friends she ends up working for Jason Sudeikis who she bumps into quite early on and he's an old school friend now he runs the bar so she's going to help out in the bar perhaps not the best place for a recovering alcoholic no well exactly Exactly. And while that's all going on, something really weird starts happening on the other side of the world in South Korea. A monster turns up in Seoul and starts terrorizing it, starts knocking down buildings. It seems impervious to all kinds of attacks. The world is entranced and Gloria and all her friends at the bar are amazed by it as well. And through a weird series of circumstances, it becomes clear that Gloria and this monster may impossibly be connected somehow. Really? That sounds very bizarre as a film. It is very bizarre. I'm sure you know it is because I played you a clip and you were like, what is this? <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, it's directed by Nacho Vigalondo, who I'm not familiar with, but he's done some fairly well-known short films and one that I think it's called Time Crimes, which is a weird sort of time loop story where things get progressively weirder and weirder and stranger. And he's definitely a Appears to be into the magic realism approach with this monster appearing and transforming stuff. But I've got to say, listeners, I I really loved this film a lot. It is really odd and it's got fantastic performances. So I've got a clip for you. Oh, Phil's got his hand in the air. I was hoping you'd play the clip. Well, don't you worry, Phil. I'm on it. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you like bow <laughs> on, and I'm like, whoa, Laurie, hold I'm on, on. I'm hold so on. on it right now. I'm on it like a carbonate, man. And uh, this clip is just going to feature Jason Sudeikis' character Oscar chatting to Anne Hathaway on a bench. And in particular, they're both chatting about how their lives have not panned out, how they expected, and how glad they are to be in each other's lives all of a sudden. So here you go. When
1: they started downsizing, I was the first to go.
0: Oh, you jerk. You already knew. Yes, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> why, yeah. why didn't you tell me? Why are you letting me, like...
1: Well, I, I don't, I I don't
0: know. I, I didn't want you to think I was creepy, like I'm some sort of stalker. Oh, or, well,
1: it's too late for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been following me all these years?
0: Of course I have. Somebody actually made it out of here and did something special for once. oh look what had to happen for things to get interesting around here giants attacking South Korea no I mean you yeah there you go kind of nice chit chat that sounds more at home in a film like 28 days do you remember that
1: oh the not the 28 days later you mean the Sandra Bullock recovering from
0: alcoholism movie precisely that Phil and I, I one of the weirdest things about this film that I personally loved was that it jumps all over the place in terms of its tonal construction and jumping along with it is the direction style the music style the dialogue the performances everything shifts around and the way that I've tried to describe it before is that it's like a kaleidoscope so if you look through a kaleidoscope you get all these different angles and perspectives on one thing and that is what this film feels like. We criticise other films when the tone jumps around because it doesn't add anything and it feels like it was an accident. This film, it does not feel like an accident. So, from my description of the plot there, Phil, you probably imagine this is about her rebuilding her life, right? Basically? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, no, it's not about that. The, that clip of the two characters on the bench, trust me, that is not representative of what either of those characters are really like for the film or what anything in the film is like. It is full of surprises. So, I don't want to give too much away because. I was dazzled by it. I, I jumped along and I thought it was absolutely bizarre, but it wasn't bizarre for the sake of it. Every new twist and approach to the story made me consider what it was. the central message was or actually is the message shifting? What is it I need to learn? Who do I need to sympathise with? And what am I taking away from this? And I love that.
1: But the thing with a kaleidoscope and what you look at is very pretty and it looks very interesting, but there's no reality to it. There's nothing real. It's all kind of, it's a refraction of reality into something weird and wonderful. But you can't, if you were always looking like that, looking through a kaleidoscope, it wouldn't be that fun. Well, unless I mean, there's some reality behind it, unless you understand how the, it's some, there's something real which is being
0: refracted. That's a very good point, Phil. And there is a lot that is real here. There's a lot which is to do with people who don't know which way their life is headed. There's people recovering from things like alcoholism. There's sort of dealing with things from your childhood and your past and your expectations of life being different than you thought. There's stuff in there about friendship. There's stuff in there about relationships and in particular about aspects of control and power dynamics between two people. There is, there is so much... Much real stuff in there that it doesn't just constantly feel surreal and weird it really deals with real things but you'll still be wondering by the end oh so what how does that make me feel basically
1: reassure me it's not just some big giant metaphor this monster in korea
0: no no well it's not a metaphor it's a device it's a, it's a magic realism device <laughs> don't Whoa. give me that face um but it doesn't feel like a bashy on the head oh let's all learn a lesson about ourselves it's not really like that it's just raising a lot of questions and one of the things i love it i love it for is the fact that it doesn't tie everything up with a neat little bow in fact the very final shot of the film is my favorite one in the whole film, because uh, without spoiling anything it 's a way of saying, "Oh, you thought that uh, that was finished, did you guess guess what it isn't?"
1: I don't know, man. The more you talk about it, the more it sounds like awful. It Sounds no, like the sort of film which I hate. Let me well, well, let, think, let me add in some more context. And I think things. is meaningless and pointless. <laughs> and like, oh, what does it mean? I want I'm not going to gonna tell it you. It's up for you to I decide. Want you to
0: What's watch the it? point? Because let me add in as well. It's genuinely really funny. It's very witty. Anne Hathaway is excellent. She plays someone who is kind of unlikable but relatable, brilliantly. And I wish she'd done that more in her career. I don't always want her to play the kind of person you know we put really, hearts are supposed to go out to. I'd Way rather she played someone like this. Apparently, girls hate her, though. So maybe she's quite good at
1: being the unlikable person.
0: Yeah, she's fantastic at that. And Jason Sudeikis, man. I mean, I, I knew I know more from comedy stuff and. He's great in this as a dramatic actor. He has got power to his performances I'm and shocked and,
1: uh, and appalled at that idea. Oh, really? Because I've only ever seen him in horrible bosses, and I thought he was a bit forgettable. And he just seems like Jason Sudeikis in that scenario. Yeah, no. And of course, he's done the Saturday Night Live thing, sketch comedy, and I've never felt like
0: he's just playing himself. And I don't ever feel like that could disappears. What you're film. saying, watch it, okay, watch it, watch okay, it. Okay. okay, and final thing to say on this before I give it a grade, because we do have two reviews to do, obviously, is that one thing I find fascinating is that it was produced in partnership with Legion M. Do you know who they are, Phil? No, I don't. You should, you should learn. In fact, we all should learn and go and invest because they are a fan owned movie financing house. So you could have invested in Colossal. And played a part in bringing the film to production, and isn't that interesting? Wow, that yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, worth looking up. Legion M. I won't go on and on about it here, but really fascinating project. And isn't it amazing that a fan-owned studio has produced this, which is certainly not mainstream and many people's cup of tea? What's the grade you're giving it? I'm going to give it an A minus. Whoa! I'm still thinking about it, and I loved the performances. Excellent effects. I love the direction. Uh, there's fantastic. the storybook feel to things. The guy switches between profile Wes Andersony, uh, like dolly shots, and it's just brilliant. I th- I think it's great. And I would also I... love the music. Oh, <laughs> Bear McCreary, gosh. fantastic. I,
1: honestly I don't know what to make of this I kind of feel like I need to see it but I don't want to see it because I worry it's going to disappoint me and be exactly what I think it might can, be what's the
0: worst that can happen Phil you can come in here and tell me how wrong I am and I know you love that yeah yeah. <laughs> it's like the Dr Pepper of a film mm. right should I move on yes listeners let me know if you've seen that in fact I already know one of our listeners has so we'll come to that email later okay the next film I saw was Lost in London Live featuring a Q&A with Woody Harrelson afterwards Phil do you know anything about Lost in London I've heard about it. It's a whole
1: live movie and everything like that. And I remember hearing about it ages ago. I didn't. I didn't really follow along. I thought, oh, this is just a Facebook stunt or whatever it is, a sort of PR thing just to get you interested. But people would do it. Maybe if something goes wrong, people would write about it. But it kind of went, came and went.
0: Well, I think you should all be paying attention to it. Really, it's. I think it's Woody Harrelson's directorial debut. Certainly, very very early in his did he direct career. it? Yes, he did. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay. And I think he was involved in producing it as well. It's a sort of confessional story. It follows a real incident in his life where he uh, is alleged to have assaulted a taxi, not the taxi driver, but a taxi, broken an ashtray, caused some damage, and then run away and been pursued by police who then arrested him. Uh, And then he had to spend the night in the clink and all that sort of stuff. And he's described it as the worst night of his life. So he's decided to bare his soul uh, and write a screenplay about it. So is he Woody Harrelson in the film? He is playing himself, that's right. But you've already put your finger on it, Phil. The most fascinating and easy-to-sweep-aside thing about this is that it was live. They rehearsed it, but absolutely everything was live. The, the camera feed, the audio feeds, the performances... All the sort of circumstances of filming it in London, really in London between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning. They just took that feed and projected it directly into cinemas in America and in the UK as well. So, you know, you might think, well, that's not so different from a stage play, right? That's live in front of an audience. It's very different. There was no audience. So you, you're not direct, you're not acting to people. You're acting to a camera at 3 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> knowing that it represents millions of people across the world. But also the audio work. All that stuff that you do in post-production, you can't do it in post, you've got to do it on the day. The lighting's got to be spot on, the focus has got to be right, uh, the staging and the blocking of the actors has got to be right. You can't get in the way of the cameraman, you can't fall over and restart the shot. Everything is live and it's all one take, one actual take. That
1: is very impressive and and maybe I was wrong to dismiss it, I feel a bit guilty now. But the thing is, (laughs) what I'm wondering is, is it a closed set? As in, is everyone on the camera actors and extras?
0: Or is it they're filming amongst real life going on. Definitely actors and extras yep yep. So So everything is controlled but but it's very that's more impressive because it meant that the amount of coordination that had to be done and the cues that actors had to be ready for had to be on the moment and the thing that blew me away more than anything else and this was the question I asked Woody Harrelson, it gave me a great answer, was I have no idea how they achieved the sound in particular because the audio is clear, you always hear the person you're supposed to hear, it fades in between soundtrack, you know DJ style feed audio being played directly into the feed ambient noise and actors within the ambient noise and also music that's being played in the scene so it's a great sequence where woody harrelson is almost dancing out his frustration in a jail cell and at the at the climax of his dance out he stops as does the music so there's a musical cue that stops as he stops but he can't have heard it and similarly they also blend in a Willie nelson guitar solo to Woody uh, Willie Nelson actually being there and chiming in with his like I'm glad you're reacting like that Phil listen you can't see him I was blown away by that I was like, how did you do that so I asked him and he said look there were 26 sound guys on this that was the hardest thing they had to do he approached all these top level people they said they wouldn't do it and in rehearsals loads of stuff kept going wrong you kept on hearing the wrong people like you didn't hear the people in the scene you heard the people off camera he said that was exhausting and stuff so In terms of its technical achievements, please do not dismiss this. I think it's incredible. And what a brave choice for your directorial debut, because it's all about Woody. It's his life. It's his skills. It's his direction. It's his project. It's
1: his story. If it
0: went terribly wrong, people would just be like, oh, that's embarrassing. But it's not embarrassing.
1: You just embedded your brilliant
0: question, Laura's all I was so chuffed with this brilliant <laughs> question. Oh, I asked a great question—is how he told it. No, I felt me. good about it because it was uh, like I—I I was just uh, I was dazzled by it, and uh, I'm glad to hear him say, "Yeah, that was the hardest thing." It was, yeah, so sort of humble of him to say, really, because you'd expect him to just want to go on and on about his performance, but he understood the technical stuff um, as so, a film. Yes, what is it like? Thank you for asking. That was what I was going to say. I think I couldn't separate the fact that I knew what a technical achievement it was from the film itself and I mean I don't think you should as well because that's kind of part of the medium isn't it the way it's made matters so The Revenant was even more impressive for its use of natural light and the one shot stuff so you can't avoid it but it does mean there are baggy moments in the film where you think well yeah it would have been edited. They, they even admitted, Woody Harrison also humbly admitted, there was a goof in there, live. Um, there where, was. Yeah, they were waiting for a particular policeman character to arrive and he didn't arrive on time. So they just had to freestyle some lines. And obviously then they've got to make up the time somewhere else by cutting stuff out. So it was all on the fly and you can feel that in places stuff sags the pace is a bit odd some of the dialogue is a bit elliptical it feels like you're just treading water until you can move on to the next scene that's particularly obvious but still really enjoyable in a sequence in a nightclub where woody harrelson bumps into owen wilson who i didn't know was in the no inlay. way he's great and they have a little bantery story where they make fun of each other's films each other's appearances and owen wilson goes on about wes anderson being his best friend which really upsets woody harrelson and they, ha- <laughs> and they talk about wes anderson's films being a bit precious and like like it's just great like there's so much natural charm and wit and skill in there that it is dazzling but i mean it's probably not everyone's cup of tea as a film on its own terms it's quite meandering do you feel like very anecdotal it's worth it though yeah i think it's really impressive and no one's done anything like it before that's not a lie it's true so i really think it's worth your time certainly is it playing widely across the uk do you know I don't think it's very wide it it was a tiny release for the actual live thing so this is just a recording but it is as live i know in oxford the phoenix picture house is playing it and i think it's worth a look i think you should have a look through your listings because you will have a nice time certainly it's funny it's enjoyable he's charming and yeah it's great okay man cool what's the grade then uh i would probably the thing is it's a hard one to grade (laughs) because it's very different from anything else and what would I say? As a film, what would you give it? I really... I enjoyed it a lot. So I'd probably give it a, a B plus because... I mean, it's not riveting or anything like that. It's just very, very enjoyable and impressive. And I really love the performances. It's a great sequence involving a woman uh, who is sort of spiritually helping him through some of his problems. Because the the sort of core conceit is that he's having a big relationship dilemma that he has to work through over the course of the night. So he's trying to get home to see his wife and go through an argument. But he just can't get home because all the stuff keeps getting in the way. Uh, and then also that the, the policeman uh, fantastically acted. Uh, yeah, it's it's B plus definitely. I I'm convinced, man. I think I want to check it out. Uh, any bonuses? Um, or is
1: the bonus the Q and A? I bits?
0: suppose it's the Q and A. in some ways, there's not loads and loads to say on that. My favourite thing to come out of it, and I think I think Phil, you and I will feel a lot of empathy for this, was when a, a very enthusiastic guy towards the back of the hall stood up and he said, "Um, I, can I just ask uh, why didn't you use a gimbal uh, while you were filming this?" And at which point, the executive producer who was up there and Woody Harrelson both looked at each other and said, well, hey, what, what did you say? What? And it's like, a gimbal. Why didn't you use a gimbal? And they both look at each other and said, what's a gimbal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a gimbal is. <laughs> and, then, and someone had to explain it to Woody Harrelson, the director of the film, <laughs> what a gimbal was. And I love that because it's easy to imagine that there's this magical world. Where well, they uh, know everything. And, the- and everything is so you know, elite Slick and the jargon's and- free-flowing, like a sort of marketing meeting, that kind of thing, where everyone's talking in metaphors. But more than ever, it really felt like these are just a couple of guys who are like, yeah, I'm doing this film. Let's make a film. And it was so weird seeing Woody Harrelson sat there wearing his baseball cap and stuff, because he just looked like your average guy from Texas. And all of a sudden, he's like, do you want to be Haymitch in the Hunger Games? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sounds fun, man. You know, it was really, it was very strange. Um, But I loved it. Very charming. Got a picture. You can see it on the Twitter profile. I think that's it, isn't it, for two reviews? Oh yeah, and I did, I told him a joke, Phil. I was trying to do that thing, the embarrassing thing everyone does of trying to be cool when you meet them. Trying to stand out for the he, crowd. Yeah, I was, it's pathetic. I knew I didn't want to do it, and yeah, I still did it. So I was like, oh, I really like you in uh, Out of the Furnace, by the way, man. <laughs> yeah, because no one would remember that film, and that was him being like really like mean in it, right? Yeah. To which his response was, yeah, another laid-back comedy, or whatever it was. <laughs> so then I said, oh, that hot dog scene, laugh a minute. And I still don't know whether he was taking the mick out of me, thinking this guy hasn't seen it, <laughs> or whether he was with me, but. My little gag, he came off better there. I think, of course, he did. He's a Hollywood star. (laughs) Now, the thing is, like, we've actually failed to to play a clip. Do you know that's (laughs) entirely your fault, man? You said you didn't remind (laughs) me of this. (laughs) You were were too excited, you rolled on. And I guess it shows that we've done this review live, so yeah, just like Lost in London. Okay, well, let's play the trailer because that's a better way to do it, I think. Here you go, here's the trailer. Yeah, definitely worth watching. I think that's true. That statement, happy wife, happy life yeah is there something you're not telling me no just oh yeah lovely lovely Mike oh my god you're fine maybe she hasn't even seen it well oh, that's true I mean maybe she hadn't seen it. Three women? Oh, a taqua! Been bound up in. What way to go. drink. Big time. Uh, I'm an actor. I think he's an actor. White man can't <laughs> jump? <Good> Indecent proposal? <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. What is wrong with you? Dude, dude, it's just really sad. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, like a mangy dog that no one wants to pet. You're a beggar for money. You're just like, get this dog out of here. I <laughs> you know he's never gonna make it to daybreak because he's gonna get
1: run over by a cab. Stop
0: this freaking cab right now! I am so disappointed.
1: <laughs> it's a cosmopolitan. It's a man's dream. You offer me a break? All right,
0: here we go. Bono on speakerphone. You like Paul McCartney? Give it to me now. Give it
1: to him now. I'm your friend. I'm going to support you. But how do you support a scumbag? That's our challenge. I mean, obviously, it's not about me right now. but Yeah! No, don't make me run. Stop there now! I don't know if just being with me is ever going
0: to be enough for you. You're the next little kid. Or am I the next little I'm Larry. You got out acted by a dog. No I idea. not I always be around. What have we been watching this week? Woo! Was that the right key? Who knows? Let's find out. Uh, we're doing that, listeners. Just FYI, because a listener did email and tell us to keep going. <laughs> right? So okay. Go. Even though I was massively out of key last week, I think some it people was, might it was, hate that.
1: It was horrendous. I was cringy inside. Wait, you did from, it yeah. twice as well.
0: <laughs> <learned> twice wrong. <laughs> At least you, you can't you can't fool somebody. Oh. Let's move on. <laughs> Listeners, what we've been watching, just in case you didn't know, is just two films that are not at the cinema. Films we've seen, and we're going to give you retrospective reviews. Phil, what's your film? My film is Juno. Do you want to just get going with that straight up? Yeah.
1: Yo, yo, you're gonna yell. I'm pregnant. What? I'm a <laughs> I've taken like three pregnancy tests and I am four shiz up the spur. How did you even generate enough pee for three pregnancy tests? I'm telling you I'm
0: pregnant and you're acting shockingly cavalier. Is this for real? Yes. Phuket Tyler. That
1: ain't no edge-sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett.
0: I think it's best to just tell him I'm pregnant. Who is the father? <laughs> calling bleaker
1: i don't think he had it in i know right (laughs) why your shorts are like especially gold today Uh, my mom uses color safe bleach go carol you should look at adoption ads they have ads for parents yeah hi i'm vanessa you must be
0: true hi i'm the husband a couple of baby starved wingnuts dude that thing is freaky looking i'm a sacred vessel all you've got in your stomach is taco bell you think you're really gonna do this yeah but i'm guessing it looks probably like a sea monkey right now we should let it get a little cuter yes. right great
1: keep it in the oven when this is all
0: over we should get back together he's still gonna think i'm cute when i'm huge i think you're beautiful did you find a chance barf in my urn <clears throat> i would never
1: barf in your urn. <laughs> did you see that coming when she sat us down here yeah but i was hoping she was expelled her into her drugs you're like the coolest person i've ever met and you don't even have to try i try really hard actually
0: Love him. Hey, you know, you could go into early labor, sucking face like that.
1: Okay, listeners, this is Juno. You heard the trailer there. Probably you already know the plot. You know Juno. Juno, <laughs> Juno. Yeah, yeah. You know Juno. Did you get? Did you get it? Juno, Juno. Anyway, um, I have fond memories of this film because I was in America when I saw it. I was in Florida, I think it was for the first time in America. And I made my family, my parents, our parents go watch it. And I really love this film. I think it's a great film. I think it is bizarre in the sense that it was a bit of a a zeitgeist moment i think i'm using that word rightly wow okay yeah i think
0: is that right well i don't know what tell us
1: why because suddenly there's this film and everyone was talking about it juno everyone knew about it everyone saw it everyone was talking about the the actors the in it the way that they were talking the soundtrack and i think from this point there was suddenly a bleeding out of juno-ness into the world and into the film you might
0: say it captured the zeitgeist or it became the zeitgeist
1: Okay, yeah. But anyway, I've, I kind of used that word right, this so you'll give wrong. me a pass. <laughs> it's got Michael Cera in it. It's got J.K. Simmons in it. It's got Allison Janey, Janny. I think it's Janny, Two ends, mate. And, of course, Ellen Page as Juno. You've got Jason Bateman and Jennifer Gardner as the two people considering or hopefully going to be adopting Juno's baby. I think this film probably now is reviewed a bit harshly and a bit unfairly. Really? I really think so because... At the time, it was so fresh, so original, and then everyone aped it. All of the fast-talking, sort of bizarre lingo that they do, quick-firing cultural super references. savvy
0: teenagers as well.
1: Yeah, that has fully been done now, whereas I think when it first came out, that wasn't really the case. Diably Cody was the girl who wrote the screenplay, and she was a blogger. She was That was what she did. She was found online, and then they said, let's write a movie, and then she wrote a movie about a pregnant teenager, and then she's carried on doing films, but they've never, ever captured the same, mm. same thing as Juno. I think all of the performances are pretty much perfect. You can't really fault them. And I think actually, what's impressive about the script is it has all that teenage lingo and all them being fast talking, but there's actually so many different voices in the film that are really well pitched and well judged. If you think about Juno's parents, with Alison Janey as a stepmom and J.K. Simmons, their performances are so measured and careful that they really make Juno stand out as a character and they give her a really nice context. They kind of ignore her little weird idiosyncrasies and they just talk to her as a as a kid who's pregnant and they love her, but they think she's made a bad choice getting pregnant.
0: I think I agree with you there, Phil. I th- occasionally they stray into super cool parents, which bugs me, but a, on a the little whole, bit, not so much. A
1: little bit, but not really. I think they kind of make fun of Alison Janie's character because she loves cats, except she's allergic to cats or, or one of her oh, kids yeah. is and things. And then you've got Jennifer Gardner and uh, Jason Bateman, who I think are wonderfully pitched as these uh, excited parents, but maybe there's not something quite right. I think Jason Bateman as this sort of man-child is, again, a really interesting contrast to a, a parent who wants to adopt. And then you've got Jennifer Gardner as perfect. I think what's impressive about the script and the story is the fact that it means that this issue of teenage pregnancy can get explored, but it's not sensational, I don't think. Yeah, very true. And actually, it's quite normal and the relationships are quite normal, but the situation isn't. It's not, a not, it's not a normal situation to be in.
0: It does cover a huge range of things when you think about it, because, of course, it deals with the ideas of abortion. It deals with childlessness. It deals with adoption. It deals with divorce. It deals with just about everything you can imagine, but it never feels like you're dealing with those things. They just are on the road, right? Exactly. And it's quite a kind of... Small film, and
1: I know I talk about that all the time. I love this. I love small films because you feel like you get to know the characters. And I think, again, the soundtrack and all that thing has been aped and, and done and kind of done to death. But at the time, it's great. And the music goes really well with this film, that sort of acoustic-y guitar. Lovely peaches, right? Yeah, which is everyone now- was
0: covering that. That drove me insane. <laughs> Two
1: chords. <laughs> Including our brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sam. But also, I just think, give this film another look... I think it's so much better than you remember or so much better than people will give it credit for now.
0: Because there have been so many copycats. Yeah. Everyone's tired of it now. It's It's not the zeitgeist anymore, you might say. No, but it's a great film. It's a really good film. I'm going to give it an A. Nice film. I think I agree with you, man. It's, It's solid. Michael Cera as well. Fantastic. Yes, I haven't said he kind of typifies this whole film because he is perfect as Paulie Bleeker. You Bleaker. need to see the excitement on Phil's face. He's, I
1: case. mean, what's funny is I feel like I see, he's like my, uh, what's the word, Your spirit, spirit animal. animal. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were going there. At that time when I watched that movie <laughs> because I felt so like nerdy and I didn't really get it and and then that line, which is one of my favourite lines ever, which is like, you're the coolest person I ever know and I don't have to try. And he's like, I try really hard actually. I yeah. think, I was like, oh, I resonate. That resonates with me.
0: well because people think you're really cool No, because trying. I
1: wanted people to think me cool, really cool and it's like, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, I won't go into it but he's really good in it and of course michael cera now i think is really well disregarded as
0: kind of this weird little indie nerd kid but he was perfect for this movie he takes some bad roles but yeah i'm with you phil nice job okay should i do mine yeah so i saw predestination what if i could put him in front of you the man that ruined your life if i could guarantee that you'd get away with it would you kill him
1: are leaving the city in fear of a fifth attack by the Fizzle Bomber. Maybe he's doing the city a favor. That kind of talk can get you in trouble. The worst than I've already been through. There's something this job has taught me is that truth is stranger than fiction. You're not talking about bartending, are you? I'm not talking about bartending. Follow me right in here.
0: Here we go. <sighs> Deep breath. We're in 1963. That's impossible. I'm a temporal agent. We prevent crime before it takes place. The Fizzle Bomber. His next explosion will leave 11,000 dead. You can do this. Right. You have skills you've never had the chance to use, and I can give you that chance.
1: I get to be a temporal agent?
0: If you prove yourself.
1: Do I have a choice?
0: You always have a choice.
1: Ten. Nine. I always eight. knew something was different about me.
0: You're a gift, given to the world through a predestination paradox. You're the only one. You're going to save millions of lives. You must complete your mission. You must lay the seeds for the future. Here you are, at the beginning of your new life.
1: I know where I come from. Where do all you zombies come from?
0: You're here to create history and influence what is to come. Time catches up with us all. The path you're on will take you to your destination. Ooh, uh, heavy stuff in there, Phil. And, you know, starring Ethan Hawke.
1: Yeah, he's a weird actor. Do you think so?
0: Yeah, I remember seeing him in uh, Great Expectations with Gwyneth
1: Paltrow and I thought that was a weird choice. I and then an I remember choice. seeing him in Gattaca and I thought, oh,
0: that's a weird choice. Gattaca is an odd film. Actually, Gattaca is quite similar to this film in terms of the tone. I quite like Ethan Th- uh, Hawke, you know. I think he's got a weird sort of charisma. He's very different from... Uh, other A-listers in that he kind of is a bit annoying <laughs> do you know what I mean but also charming at the same time like that in uh, never more obvious than in uh, those sunset movies before, yeah, before sunset. sunset after midnight all that yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. I don't know
1: he always just reminds me kind of like of Tom Cruise's ugly brother
0: oh that is very harsh which though. is very harsh he's not very an ugly uncannyed. guy but like I, you see what I'm getting at well we all know where Phil's coming from <laughs> uh, listeners this is a really unusual film from the Spearig brothers who were the directors of Daybreak which is a film I haven't seen Daybreakers oh Daybreakers thanks Phil and it's sort of like a cult vampire flick isn't it
1: yeah so what if the vampires had won and like sort of taken over the world and humans were kind of uh, farmed basically
0: there you go and they're an Australian pair and they're still sort of emerging in terms of Hollywood this is quite a big gig for them it's a very small cast but it doesn't feel like a small film. As the trailer kind of said there, it's about temporal agents. There are these people who can travel forwards and backwards through time, their purpose being to stop terrorist attacks, basically. They're time cops. Yeah, sort of like time cops. And they have this cool violin case um, with a sort of old-fashioned padlock-like data entry system, and they can snap to different points in time, blah, blah, blah. And there's this unusual girl who you kind of heard enigmatically described as a gift there called Jane, who they think is very special. Maybe she's going to get recruited, maybe she isn't, but there's something about this girl that's very central to the plot of the film. She's played by Sarah Snook, or Snook, who you won't really have heard of because the Spirit Brothers specifically wanted to choose a relative unknown because they thought it made it more interesting. Uh, And I think they're completely right. I always find protagonists more fascinating (laughs) when they're an unknown actor. Or when you have nothing to
1: attach to that. Yeah,
0: unless it's some kind of prestige piece like the Aviator. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I think she's terrific in this. She reminded me simultaneously of Emma Stone and like a young Jodie Foster. And she has got terrific depth. She's a native Australian born, but you'd never guess it based on her accent as well. And listeners, it's going to be very hard for me to explain the plot to you without giving away spoilers because this is all to do with time travel and identity uh, in all the ways that those films are. So I'll just give you a tiny synopsis also in the trailer. There's a bomber called the Fizzle Bomber, did lots of attacks in New York, and one that was devastating, killed 10,000 people. And that actually caused the time cops system to be developed so they could figure out how to stop the Fizzle Bomber. And we're going to join temporal agent Ethan Hawke uh john as he attempts to stop this by doing his time travel stuff that's the basic plot he meets this girl jane along the way and stuff just kind of carries on from there now it probably sounds like it's going to be an action film especially because i think the most recent film to follow this kind of plot line was the adjustment bureau do you remember that yeah and like it's similar to source code as well isn't it yeah and that those are both action films they're action thrillers very very tense being chased a lot this is not that at all. So you need to dispel that from your mind straight away. Just because he's an agent and can travel through time, there's there's basically no action whatsoever. The pace is very, very slow. And it is way more about discovering who these people are and why they matter. So a very large chunk of the film is just Ethan Hawke talking to this girl Jane at a bar while she describes her life and how she ended up where she is. And then kind of things tumble on from that point forwards. And it's all about trying to keep the... Different threads of the story together, trying to figure out various time loop Where's it paradoxes. Going and Where's it going? Who are these people really? Why is it all like this? Trying to stitch it together, and if, you know, afterwards, if you if you're engaged with it, you'll be finding yourself think you you find yourself giving them names, the people involved in the time loops, and you have to give them weird names so that you can stitch them together in like a diagram. The Hat head. Man or yeah, so like, so Ethan one uh, meets Ethan three, you know that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all I what I found myself thinking by the end was, do you remember that film Primer?
1: yeah I quite like that film it was really low budget and it was all trippy and weird and looping very
0: indie everyone goes on and on about that about how amazing it was from a time travel point of view I found that film endlessly tedious and dull because it was I thought quite amateur I thought the script was awful it was so filled with jargon as it became tedious and boring this film achieves I think everything that uh, Primer achieves and more and yet it spends way less time on all that sort of time travely stuff and way more time on the characters so you get to really ask yourself the questions like whoa like, what does that mean for them? And, whoa, well, how do they feel about that? And how does it all relate? And by the end of it all, it's tied up brilliantly in a way that leaves you asking questions without you feeling frustrated and annoyed at the stuff that the film doesn't resolve.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So it's not like sort of a, you've got to piece it together, but you you get a resolution and then you, you want to try and piece it together.
0: That's exactly right. Yes, yeah, so I liked it a lot. I don't think it's a perfect film. It's very gloomy. It's a very slow pace. You have to work and you even though the characters are quite unlikable, Ethan Hawke's character and Sarah Snooks are kind of unlikable. They are the film. So you have to be willing to go along with it and be pulled in. And occasionally it, you wish it could change its tone and be kind of light in some way or another, but that I think you already know with this kind of sci-fi film, you're not going to get that. So it won't be for everybody. I would probably give it a B, but it is really interesting. If you feel like a bit of a mind bending bit of sci-fi um, and lots of issues that you let's just, you won't have thought of before lots of potential ways to use time travel that you just won't have thought of, then this is the film for you. And do you think these guys, these brothers, are one to watch? Well, possibly, yeah. I mean, in terms of their direction, like I said, the tone is a bit, it's a bit dour. So I don't know that the direction really stood out to me. It was more the plot line was fascinating. And it's fair to say that is lifted from uh, a short story from 1959 called All You Zombies by Rob Heinlein or Heinlein. So it may just be that the story is fascinating, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Sarah Snook is definitely one to watch out for. She can do a lot. What was it called again? Predestination.
1: Predestination. And it's from what year? 2014,
0: is it? yes that's right
1: well that's it then what we've been watching is Juno uh, and Predestination if you've seen that as well or you're going to watch it we'd love to hear what you made of it would you like to give us a plus one or would you like to give us a minus one <laughs> we'd love to hear from you guys and get your verdict on those films as well you can reach us at at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros. get those plus ones and
0: minus ones heading in okay okay emails emails let's go <laughs> is that your song yes it is okay <laughs> listen thanks so much for being in touch I'm going to go as fast as I can, 3Ds. I apologize, it's been such a long show. But I don't really. Come on, there's, no, there's more Why are we apologizing oh, for being with the more you're time? Right, right, right. You're quite right. Okay. Alice has been in touch a few times. Number one, saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2 again, and it was even better easily in top three Marvel movies now with Avengers number one and Civil War number two. He goes on, the new King Arthur film It's getting slated and the box office is poor so far, but love the story and Richie's films, so we'll go and see it. And he sent another email being nervous when I said I was on my way, uh, thinking, oh, the critics are really slating it, I don't think I'll go and watch it. I-, I hope my review has persuaded you it is probably worth a watch, but it is bizarre. Are you going to watch it, Phil? Yeah, I, I think I, there's, The problem is there's, the, there's next week's show To get ready for To yeah, watch those movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing the, the train keeps on rolling It never stops, man Okay, and a long email here From the Pixel Pro And I'm going to try and get through As much of this as I can Because he's given some really good stuff And some detailed Guardians of the Galaxy stuff It just keeps on rolling That one, Phil Ready? Minus one to Laurie uh-huh. is neutral neither plus nor minus one yeah, so there you go, go. go I think I've slipped away that it's it's got free <laughs> uh, he says he thinks it's the best Marvel film he's seen excepting excepting the first Gardens of the Galaxy was is written I think he <laughs> means Gardens I don't know Rocket was funny uh, Rocket Raccoon face. etc Raccoon uh, <laughs> what did I say Macaroon He <laughs> said Rocket Raccoon, Raccoon. <laughs> come on it's a long email did I say that sorry time. Uh, Gamora was way better than you say and worked as the only sensible member of the team aka the boring one (laughs) the immature but believable feud with Nebula was worth telling do you agree Phil?
1: yeah I, I think they're interesting when they're together I don't
0: think Gamora stands up on her own She's just, who cares? She's just weirdly green. I think they wrote her poorly, sadly. She lacked all the power and presence of her last, uh, last role, I thought. Uh, he says he enjoyed seeing people have arguments and sorting it out in the context of bigger things going on, particularly as a lot of these arguments were conducted with one character in a spaceship and the other on foot, with the on-foot character winning. <laughs> and he gives an example, which I won't spoil, um, but he does mention Die Hard 4, the helicopter versus the car springs to mind, which oh, he also yeah, suggests yeah. as a picture-perfect oh really that's our must scene segment which is a scene in the film that you love so much it's iheart 4 yeah I'm surprised by that Pixelbury, you're going to have to give us more detail on that he goes on Yondi's use of the arrow which I didn't like was in character he says he's dangerous and ruthless but still just about relatable I'd equate it to Dustin Hoffman shooting a pirate who steals base in hook yeah during the baseball game right yeah which he also says we should do as a cheese or wine hook oh wow okay lots of suggestions for the pixel that's great i know yeah he keeps going it's a bit queasy the arrow slicing through everyone but if you suddenly remember it's a film then it's all ridiculous anyway i think watching the first one immediately before really helps yes and i would recommend if anyone still hasn't seen it definitely watch the first one before seeing this because it relies on you knowing about and caring about the characters for sure that is true, yeah. I would equate this film to Star Trek Beyond, episodic and small scale, but thoroughly enjoyable. I think Star Trek Beyond's better. Definitely better. The group therapy bits were notable for being about relationships rather than a solitary individual sense of self worth. And this is directed at me and my criticisms of all that. Don't be fooled, he says, by the Psycho-Babbly language. This is a far cry from the whole believe-in-yourself introspection. They even made a joke about how ridiculous that trope is. Yeah, it
1: was. And actually, that's quite a fair point to make. I think that does make me feel a little bit better about those scenes. It does seem like they're not interested so much in introspection, but instead about reflecting on the relationships that they have and how important they are.
0: Exactly what he goes on to say. He finds it incredibly refreshing to see a film acknowledge that who we are depends massively on other people and not just about how they reflect and affect us uh, which I think is a fair point so it built on relationships I think I just couldn't handle that every single person had the same problem like space it out a little bit have a, have a couple of characters addressing. yeah save film. it for volume 3 man <laughs> yeah. seriously I mean it'd be like an episode of The Simpsons you know occasionally they have a serious episode of The Simpsons
1: and they normally just focus on one or two characters well, well
0: it'd be like every single one of them having a problem <laughs> you have to deal with it in 20 minutes and basically he rounds it all off by saying Laurie you're too cynical even that tape thing was funny I kind of feel like I'm between you two then yeah, you probably are. I think, I've heard, I think I can't talk about Guardians of Galaxy 2 anymore. Are you officially closing down shop, well, defending I just, your opinions? I don't, know. I, think I, feel, I don't think I can change how I feel about it, especially not without seeing it again. But thank you, everyone, for so much and such detailed responses. That's been really great. Uh, he's got some other things to add. Phil, love your songs. They're brilliant. They make me laugh. Keep it going. <laughs> oh, good. Then movies within movies, back to the Future three good point Dirty Harry Taxi Driver yeah there's
1: loads of movie references in the Back to Future trilogy Bulletproof Vest all that kind of stuff they do them very (laughs) well
0: but they use that as a story point It's, it's not just name checking a film to make a character seem cool and I love the fact that they reference it in Back to Future 2 when he's in the Jacuzzi Biff whatever biff Tannen, and then it comes up in the third film that's yeah, a great that's right, isn't it yeah great yeah, choice yeah. yeah they do that very very well uh he adds back to the future two is the best two towers also the best two plus ones to fill ridiculous yes 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 and yes and finally spaceship sounds very interesting and the interview with alex was like behind the scenes on behind the scenes <laughs> please thank benedict and alex well pixel bro from us to them through the medium of sound there it is from you <laughs> to us to them <laughs> I don't know uh yeah we really enjoyed that interview that was great and it was a really interesting film to discuss wasn't it mm. thanks so much for that email pixel bro. that was very in depth he did say editors you wish this has been too long and i have actually cut some stuff out but no we, we love getting long emails they're great big or so we love them all <laughs> yeah loving the show as always he says keep up the work ttfn he's doing you there phil a quick name droppy type uh, one phil here lucian c collier also known as one of the actors in Spaceship who did ballet on the tank, if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. He said, I wish James Joyce could have seen the film. Thanks, at Superbelly Bros, for giving Spaceship a spotlight. Your speculation was a joy to hear. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I feel genuinely totally quite touched by that. <laughs> he's, holding, oh. he's clutching his heart like a... <laughs> that's, that's really nice. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Yeah, and as I already said on Twitter, it was a pleasure. Nearly at the end here, Kufusha says, Dear Superbelly Bros, definitely sing the jingle for what we've been watching this week. <laughs> So we did it, and he says, no regrets. It's like (laughs) the one bit that gets all the listeners excited on its own, even before you go into details of what you watched that week. You know, other (laughs) listeners might disagree. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to do it until somebody says me not to. Well, here we go. Colossal, he says immediately. A nice Sunday afternoon watch, I suppose. Light-hearted, fun, justice served, and the good guy wins the day. This makes me think he maybe watched a different film. (laughs) <laughs> uh, did not realise that it's R-rated due to its language and alcohol use which makes you think he did watch the same film <laughs> but it does feel a lot cleaner and safer to watch than many of those 12, 12A films that portray way more violence and sex references what's wrong with the movie rating system these days that's another question we can come on to that later that's but, a big question so I guess that's a kind of a minus one from me it doesn't sound like he thought Colossal was all that but it does sound like a weird one to kind of categorise yeah it's true he goes on Alien Covenant Enjoy the watch, but there wasn't really any surprises after the first twist. Everything from there on was predictable. I started predicting what's going to happen, who's going to do what, who's who, and I got all of them right.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to surprise you, and therefore, can it scare you? Well,
0: and we said it's not really scary. He does say, if I watched it again, will I be more disappointed? You think watching it again it would be better than you remember? I have a feeling, yeah. With a bit of space, I think, especially if you watch another film that's kind of trying to copy it, like that film Life. I think you have you won't be able to miss its quality. The thing with it is just people have got such high hopes. Yeah, I maybe great. maybe the
1: Prometheus thing meant I went in with just so many ideas of what could happen and then I'm inevitably disappointed it'll be a-
0: interesting to see what opinion is like down the line yeah uh, and he says the flute scene just felt really weird <laughs> it's really weird yes it's so weird. weird. <laughs> that was certainly original you gotta give him that <laughs> uh okay, he's got something on guardians of the galaxy volume two i'm gonna allow it because he says for the second time he's seen it after watching guardians of the galaxy one again for the fourth time and he says yeah with more confidence volume one is actually a way better film in many ways uh, he even dozed off during some of the time waster slash filler scenes. Does that qualify as a litmus test? I think it probably says it's not a great movie, does it? You've fallen asleep in a lot of films, though, Phil, as the expert.
1: Yeah, I like falling asleep in movies. It's the best sleep you ever have. But... but does
0: it is it better sleep in a good film or a bad film?
1: Doesn't matter. It's just perfect sleep <laughs>
0: there we go uh, as always lots of love he says from your most faithful fan the wise man from the east confucius ps seriously watch the legend of 1900 already <laughs> the music- that is true he's just ages <laughs> ago ages ago sorry
1: sorry we'll get on that we'll get on that
0: any e. morocone in the music tim roth is the main actor what's stopping you from watching well apparently nothing we'll try and get it done okay final email and then we'll be shutting up shop phil it's been a long one this week hasn't it Uh, from The Natural. Hey, The Natural, haven't heard from you in a while. Dear SBBs, really enjoying all your podcasts and bonuses, especially the TCP story. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I felt your pain despite laughing a lot. (laughs) Uh, also, yeah, yeah, it was painful, trust me before the main point of this email went to see Miss Sloan, regardless of the film's merits and weaknesses, there's no doubt Jessica Chastain is a formidable actress whether playing the tragic ditzy girl in The Help, or the toughest Nails agent in Zero Dark Thirty, or this super slick, complex, amoral character I think she's brilliant and always watchable and I thought Miss Sloan was a good watch oddly reminiscent, but fortunately less explicit, of Jackie Brown, which is the Quentin Tarantino film
1: Interesting. I don't think, as you probably just heard, I don't think she's that complex. I don't think she's as complex as she needs to be. I think Jessica Chastain gives as good as she can, and she's a talented actress. I'm a fan of her, uh, but I don't think the character really does her skill justice.
0: Interesting, and I I would not have guessed from your description of it, Phil, that Jackie Brown bears any resemblance to the character you described because she's not a ruthless, tough-as-nails sort of a woman at all. She's scheming, but she's not sort of miserable.
1: Maybe it's just the scheming aspect because there's okay. a lot of schemes in Miss Sloane.
0: He goes on, a few things came to mind when you were talking about films within films. He says Casablanca is used in When Harry Met Sally. Of course! The phone conversation. Yeah, they're talking on the phone, he says, and both watching it on TV, discussing whether the girl should have stayed with Humphrey Bogart or go with the bloke on the plane. It's well used to show how Harry is cynical but still romantic, whereas Sally sees the romance in being very practical and realistic, I think. It's great. It's great use of that scene. And, of course, it says this is the start of
1: a beautiful friendship. And then there is the start.
0: Also perfect because they're using something in the film to express something about their characters. They're not just saying they like the film as a way to say something about who they are. Great example. Really good one. And directorial brilliance. This is our visionary directors segment from a couple of weeks ago. Now, this list is from The Third Man. It's a very famous shot. Uh, and uh... This
1: isn't going to have spoilers in because I still haven't seen The Third Man. I really want to see it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, is he going to spoil it? <laughs> oh, I'm, well, I'm going to have to... I'll, I'll just hint at it then. Right, i will just go out the room. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. The natural... Yeah. I completely agree with you. I actually remember this moment um, specifically from when I saw The Third Man. Uh, let's just... It's at the end when you think there's a resolution and there's a relationship, but it doesn't go how uh, you might expect. And the direction is not to express that through dialogue. It's all expressed with the way that something is shot and the way that two characters interact. Uh, there we go. So I'm sorry, The Natural. Phil has meant we've had to spoil that moment. I
1: was willing to go out of the room, um, but then I, I I don't know. Sorry. I know mm. it's like a billion years
0: old now, but I still want to see really, it. Really, really good, The Third Man. It's great. Uh, loads more. I can't remember, uh, he says, but keep them coming if you can. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on movies and movies, visionary directors, all that stuff.
1: Revisions or remasterings of uh, films as well. Send those in. Just keep on emailing, guys. We love hearing from you. We love hearing you disagree with us, even though we might disagree with you. So do send them in, superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can reach us at superbaileybros on Twitter.
0: Thanks, guys. (music) Wow, what a marathon show, man. That was a lot of show, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it's because there have not been very many new releases for quite some time, and this week there just have been a bundle.
1: Yeah, I think people have kind of starting to creep out of the Shadow of Gardens of Galaxy 2.
0: Yeah, I think you might be right, and of course Half Term is on its way, summer holidays, all that sort of stuff, we're warming up to a season of cinema. Uh, I will, of course, be reviewing Baywatch next week, uh, which I saw earlier this week, but can't even hint to you how I felt about it because of a very strict embargo. Oh, really? Is it really that severe? It's pretty strict yeah so I won't be able to tell you anything about it until next week uh, when we'll also be doing a this bunch of other films probably not quite as many as this week I think if you give me permission I might try and catch up on some of the other films great that you've got done this week oh yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts film definitely especially colossal go and see that one okay hmm. yeah, come on you'll be so nervous about it <laughs> uh, listeners thanks so much for listening uh, look out for a, perhaps a special cans roundup from benedict seal I'll have a chat with him and we'll put that on the feed this is hot news. I mean seriously you know we're way ahead of the curve this time Yeah completely off the red carpet huh That's right so look out for those Um, I'll let you know how they're going to be featured As he goes along but other than that Have a great week and we'll speak to you soon Ciao ciao DTFN. Bye Bill has
1: a bonus come on then Well it's a very short one it's quite a weird one I was chatting to one of our friends One of our mutual friends because we do have those Yeah And we were talking about, oh, what's your favourite dish to make, you know, how, what's your speciality and everything like that. And I was chatting to him and he was talking about, oh, I make a really good roast and things and, you know, with the, the vegetables and then the rice. And I was like, what? Rice? And apparently this guy, he does uh, rice with his like roast chicken. Rice and gravy.
0: What right? What?
1: And the thing is, is I was like, you Laura, I was like, what? That's so ridiculous. He was like, Yeah, your carbohydrates, you know, you've got to get them in. And it's like Well, have you heard of potatoes and (laughs) Yorkshire puddings? (laughs) Yeah, but he was like, Seriously, you need to try it. Rice and gravy. And the thing is, the more I think about it, the more I'm like that sounds great that sounds oh, really no, good no don't you're very suggestible Phil well maybe no, like, it's no. all about Yorkshire plums. all right you kid. What, what, <laughs> what do you mean no I'm just Hell saying how very dare you so this guy's actually he's uh, he's half Chinese and so he's mixing it up he's taking a British classic with a little bit of Asian spin and I
0: thought maybe there's something in this I'm sure it'd be nice but I don't think I would call that a roast dinner
1: well but anyway I threw it out there I want to hear whether or not anyone else has tried rice and gravy do let me know and also I think I'm going to try it and I want you to try it Laurie, and tell me what you think And also I was wondering if you have heard of any strange food combinations that people have suggested to you.
0: I mean, I suggest strange food combinations to people, Phil. I think it's that way around. Mine are very unsophisticated. So, Cheese and you... jam? Cheese and jam is fantastic. If cheese 've jam never done is great. Them, I mean, I discovered a lot of things as a student. I had no money at all by just doing whatever was in the cupboard. And when I lack bread, my, my, my sort of food approach is, well, I need to have a slice of something that I can put something else on. So what can I slice? <laughs> I need cheese. a carrier for the food. <laughs> yeah, that is literally what I thought. Some kind of food tray, edible tray. So I sliced up the cheese. Pop jam on it. Delicious. It's and then really I also good. did the same really thing good. with Weetabix and peanut butter, which was not delicious. Oh, was it it was, was a terrible failure. That's like the impossible to eat. Ever. I didn't think about There's it. There's no like moisture that. there. <laughs> no, that was a, a failure. But one thing which I think is fantastic is if you can do like white, it's very unhealthy. You know, it's not a proper <laughs> meal. White toast, spread some thick Philadelphia on it, full fat, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Raspberry jam on top of that fold that over that is like eaten mess like <laughs> raspberry cheesecake oh it's just amazing you know what's even better than that sprinkle a little bit of cracked black pepper on it what? even a, even jam no on that, toast no with cracked no, black pepper. no
1: that bothers me i hate that whole oh that just is put, good, a, put a
0: little bit no 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 you know come on you know you know i'm not that person phil but cracked black pepper on jam on toast it brings out the flavor i tell you what i'm annoyed about Flipping, you
1: can't get caramel anymore. It's all salted caramel. Well, that's not true. You can't, I swear, you won't find caramel anymore.
0: Everything's salted. I did enjoy the salted caramel phrase for, fra- phase. <laughs> not the phrase. <laughs> yeah, for a while. I <laughs> hear what you're coming, but I've never really liked caramel. chili and gets, chocolate, gets all that stuff. stuck to my teeth. Yeah. Is that the end of this? It's nice though. <laughs> no, I yeah, yeah, odd flavors. Just a bit of odd combination. Odd though. combos. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Let us know. And yet there's also a suggestion that a little boy, in fact, but there's also a suggestion that Uther drank. Uther Pendragon... Hold on. <laughs>
1: <It's> terrible.
0: <laughs> you're doing fine. You just need to take a deep breath. Oh, if you're on, okay, yeah. it up. Oh, that's an over... Oh, that's an over... <laughs> Sorry. I think it's fantastic.